Good to see you this evening, church. Uh, we're going through 1 Corinthians 9, as Josiah read for us. Uh, if you guys will open back up that Bible in front of you, if you have it, it's uh, page 957 in the copy of your scriptures. In the weeks and months following 9-11, there was a story that kept surfacing amongst people that had survived the attacks. And it all had this common theme about a man wearing a red bandana. And in total, there were 18 survivors, so 18 different people attributed some kind of form or fashion of their rescue to this man with a red bandana. And so no one, there was a mystery about who this man was. Um, And and as articles started to come out, a mother who had lost her son in the attacks recognized it to be her 24-year-old son who always carried a red bandana with him. So the story goes, he was an equities trader, 24 years old on on the 104th floor of the South Tower. And when the building got hit, he decided that he was going to do whatever he could to get as many people out of the building. And so he knew an operational stairwell. And so he, for some, came and got them and and brought them to the stairwell, pointed them to where it was. For other people, he physically carried them down flights of stairs to get them to safety. He was an equities trader, but that day he became a firefighter because that's what the people needed. And he sought to save as many people as he could. Well, the Apostle Paul, in this text, sought to use his freedom to become a servant to all, to save as many people as he could. To the Jews, he became as a Jew. To those under the law, he became as one under the law. To those outside the law, to the Gentiles, he became as a Gentile. And to the weak, he became weak, so that he might save some. So tonight in this passage, I want us to look at Paul's motivation for becoming all things to all people, and then Paul's method for becoming all things to all people. So we'll start at looking at his motivation you look down at the text with me. So Paul bookends his motivation, both in verses 19 and 22. Uh, So in verse 19, he says, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And then verse 22 at the end, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So his chief desire is to save as many people as he can. That is what oozes out of the Apostle Paul. He just wants to save people desperately. And I want to try to succinctly lay out what he's doing here. Uh, Because if you've been around church for a while, you know that people are saved by hearing the message of the gospel and believing it by faith. Right? So you hear the message that Jesus Christ came and lived the life that we should have and died the death that we deserved and then rose again. If you believe in that Jesus, you will be saved. But it's interesting, the Apostle Paul doesn't say, I, I preach the gospel in order to save some. He's saying, I become all things to all people in order to save some. We know he preaches the gospel. He does that all the time. It's so important to him. But why doesn't he say that here in this passage? And I think it's because later on, there's a, a verse in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, uh, that says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clashing symbol. And so it matters who the gospel comes from. The gospel has incredible power in itself, but it also matters who it comes from. And so the Apostle Paul knows that. 
and he's going to do whatever he can to remove any obstacles out of the way of people hearing it clearly. And so that's what he's talking about. He's kind of doing a pre-work in order to make the gospel as clear as possible to all these different types of people. And so he got that principle. Um, Back to his motivation for a minute. So he, he is an amazing example of a life touched by Jesus Christ. Or like he just so knows what Jesus did for him that he just wants to give that to people. And that's true of us too. The more and more we know who Jesus is and what he did for us, the more and more we will want to simply tell people about him. We will want people to be saved because we know that we didn't deserve to be saved. That it was given to us as a free gift of grace and we will just want to give that to people. And back to that 9-11 story, I think it can be used in another way too. So the world is similar to the Twin Towers after they got hit. Everyone that is not in Jesus Christ is headed toward destruction, right? We believe that as Christians. That's a hard thing to believe, but we believe it. People will go to eternal damnation if they don't believe in Jesus Christ. But the good news is we know where the stairwell is. We know the stairwell, and his name is Jesus. And we should be spending our lives seeking to point people to the stairwell. And we should be living more like the man with the red bandana. My fear, kind of especially within our reformed circles, is that our evangelism doesn't really look like the man with the red bandana. Rather, it it looks more like someone who got out of the building, walked to the Brooklyn Bridge, walked across the bridge, and is now standing on the banks of the river, whispering back to the towers, the stairwell's over there. Doctrinally accurate. It is still the gospel. You're still pointing people to the stairwell. But we haven't done the work to become all things to all people. We haven't sought to serve them in whatever way that we can in order to make the gospel most clear in our lives. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's trying to change anything that he can about his life, his conduct, and his behavior to make the gospel as clear and compelling as possible. Another fear of mine is that our issue is not really an ignorance of the method, right? We don't really need some tips and tricks about how to become all things to all people in the 21st century to become better at this. That's helpful, and and we're going to do it a little bit later, but my fear is that the the real reason is is the motivation, the desire, because if we truly, truly desire people to be saved, we're going to go out and do this. And I'm not trying to shame anyone in here. Like all of us, every single person, me especially, can do this better. We, we can desire the salvation of those around us better. And so I just want to draw us back to that motivation of, of those daily reminders, remembering who you were before you knew Jesus. You were a, a sinner that was as far gone as anyone that's ever lived on planet Earth, right? And because of that sin, you were deserving eternal damnation. But God sent his one and only son to live the life that we should have and die the death that we deserve so that we might have life. It's amazing good news of the gospel. And so maybe people that know that, may we know the love of God more and more in our lives so that we might just want to give it to people. So that's the first point, Paul's motivation for doing this. And secondly, I want us to look at his method. Uh, So 
as I've said, the motivation, I think, is the more important thing, but the method still matters, right? We can um, have really good intentions, but be very unwise about how we go about these sorts of things. And so Paul's method is, is three things. It is sinless, it is sacrificial, and it is sincere. So sinless, sacrificial, and sincere. When I say sinless, I'm not saying that he was absolutely perfect or we're going to be absolutely perfect But I'm saying that in our desire to save people, it never involves us sinning. We should never sin in order to try to save people. And a couple of ways that you can see this in this passage. So Paul did not become a Jew. He became as a Jew. And so there are are some little fringe movements within the church where people will kind of join a local synagogue or they'll become a Muslim in order to save the Muslims. We don't do that. We remain explicitly Christians the whole time. We never sin in order to try to save people. We remain faithful in that. One historical example that I think is is helpful. So at the beginning of the 19th century was when the Louisiana Purchase happened. And so all of these Americans start moving out west. And so there's a, a ton of frontier settlements out there. And so churches on the east started to send out missionaries out west. And as they went out there, they realized how prevalent liquor use was in those frontier settlements. Almost to the point that they would say, people literally will not listen to us unless we drink alcohol. They won't listen to a word that we say. They don't respect us at all. And so the missionaries started debating, what what are we supposed to do? Like, what's our game plan here? Um, And if a missionary were to say, I'm going to start drinking in order to reach these people, in order to remove an obstacle to them hearing the gospel... I actually think that's a good application of this passage. I actually think that that's that's a wise thing to do with the caveat that they never got drunk, right? So we should never sin in order to try to reach people. And so I think that example is a good example of what it might look like. And maybe to you, you're like, that's a very basic observation. I already know that. But I guarantee you the temptation to sin will exist whatever kind of group you're seeking to reach. It might look different for different people, but the temptation to fall into sin in order to people please to save people will always be there. So let us remember that and remain faithful as we're going out and seeking to do that. Uh, The second point, so Paul is sacrificial. Uh, So the main thrust of chapters 8 and 9 in 1 Corinthians is all about giving up rights and freedoms. And Paul, even in, in verse 19 here, reiterates, even though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Specifically with the Corinthians, if you, I don't know if you have to flip in your scripture, on verse 11. So in verse 11, it says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul has a right to get money from the Corinthians, but he's not doing it. So if you've read Corinthians before, you know they're kind of a rebellious bunch. And so Paul knew in the back of his head, if, if I take money from this people, it might put an obstacle in the way of them hearing the gospel. So people in Corinth might have thought, uh, this guy doesn't really care about us. He's just preaching these things to make a buck. He's just doing this to try to get rich. And so Paul's not going to give them that excuse. He's not going to take any of their money so that they have no excuse for not thinking that he's doing this for a bad reason. He's solely there for their good. 
And so he removes that excuse. And that's incredibly sacrificial, right? He had a full right to take money. Not only that, he has to do double duty. So Paul is working as a tent maker in Corinth too to to make enough money to live. So he's withholding money and he's doing extra work simply for the sake of the gospel being as clear as possible and removing an obstacle to the Corinthians hearing it from them. Another example, this is I think one of the most convicting things in all of scripture. Paul and Timothy in Acts 16. So Paul is the mentor to Timothy and when they first meet, Paul wants to bring Timothy along with him on his missionary journeys. But Paul goes to a lot of places with large Jewish populations. And Timothy is not circumcised. And so Paul decides to have Timothy circumcised in order to remove an obstacle so that when Timothy preaches the gospel to the Jews, it might be more clear and compelling. And elsewhere in scripture, it's clear that uh, circumcision counts for nothing. Right? This is not an act of continuing the Mosaic law and the new covenant. This is simply a, a way to apply 1 Corinthians 9. It's really easy to kind of read Acts 16 and just kind of theologize it away and not think for a moment about that sacrificial nature. Do you think Timothy cared about reaching the lost? As an adult with the medical technology that existed 2,000 years ago, he willingly chose to be circumcised for the sake of other people. It's unbelievable, right? That is unbelievably sacrificial of Timothy to do that. And it was simply opening a door so that people might hear the gospel more clearly from him. Now, I hope the obstacles for us are not that sacrificial, um, but they exist. And so what, what does that look like for you? Like, what does it look like to give up your freedoms for the sake of other people, for the sake of removing obstacles from people hearing the gospel from you? Does that mean living in a neighborhood that's not as comfortable for the sake of reaching people there? Does that mean seeking out a profession and job intentionally when there's not many Christians that work there because you want to reach people there? Does that mean altering the way that you dress or speak at times in order to reach a different demographic of people? We should be sacrificing our freedoms for the sake of other people. And so I'd encourage you to think about kind of what that would look like in your own life. The last point, Paul's method was sincere. So he's not faking it. He's not trying to manipulate people. He's doing this all in the name of service. Uh, Cultural appropriation is a pretty hot topic today. And if you're a Christian, there are definitely some some points in which we can press it and we might disagree with them, um, the people that would hold to cultural appropriation ideas. But one thing that we can affirm within it is it's not right to take someone else's cultures or custom as a sort of power grab, as a way to make money or obtain something. Well, that's not what Paul's doing. Paul is trying to give people something, not trying to take something from them. And he's doing it in a sincere and winsome way. And a a biblical example of this, so back to Timothy, Paul chose to circumcise Timothy. He didn't circumcise Titus, who was another one of his disciples. And one of the main reasons he did that was Titus was a Gentile. And so to circumcise Titus would have been to communicate that he was becoming a Jew, which wouldn't have made much sense. But Timothy had a Jewish mother and was reared as a Jew. So he is by race Jewish and by custom Jewish, but he had a Greek father. So for some reason he wasn't circumcised. So it made sense to circumcise Timothy in a way that it didn't for Titus. And that applies to us today too. There are some ways that you can reach people that I can't. 
based on the ways that you grew up or your interests or the, the culture that you grew up in, you might be able to be flexible to a culture in a way that I can't. And so we, we've got to be sincere about the way that we seek to do this and wise, because there's a lot of unwise ways in which we can do this. Uh, so lastly, I just want to talk about a couple practical ways that we can try to apply this and then get back to the motivation. Um, so the goal is to try to understand a different people group than your own and try to identify them so that you can remove any obstacles in their way and preach the gospel to them. That's the goal. Um, so if, you, if a missionary were to move to Philadelphia tomorrow and they wanted to reach the city of Philadelphia at large, there's a lot of different people groups here, but generally this is a sports town, right? We love sports in Philadelphia. If that missionary hated sports, I would probably be like, you should gain a minimum level interest in sports. You don't have to be an expert, but you will be able to reach so many more people if you can relate to people and understand based on the the thing that they value sometimes most in this city. Maybe you're a huge sports person, but you don't like very much music or art or dance. There's an amazing opportunity for you to gain a minimum level interest in those things for the sake of relating to a huge demographic of people, of trying to remove any obstacles that you can so that the gospel is more clear to those people. Uh, Learning a language is a fantastic way to do that. I mean, you can double the amount of people you can reach if you learn a new language. And so be thinking of ways that you can do that in the name of sacrifice. Uh, And I just want to close on the motivation. The, The Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, I always think is so comforting and motivating. Uh, And so I just want to read it for us before we close. This is Jesus speaking. This is the last thing uh, that he said to his disciples in the book of Matthew. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us as we go out on this mission. He has called us to do it. He has commissioned us to do it. He has equipped us to do it. And he's with us. It's the greatest mission that we can do. Watching people's lives change. Watching their eternities change. So let's be bold. Let's not fear. And let's go out gracious too. Knowing that we are people that have been saved by Jesus Christ and get to live in heaven with him one day. And so let us be a people that do that and do it with joy. If you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your son. God, that you sent your son to die for us that we might have life. Lord, would we know that life? God, would it be precious to us? Would your love be precious in our hearts and our minds, God? Would you remind us of that this week? Would we remind each other of the love that you have for us? And God, would that draw us to go out and seek to love people around us? Would you give us wisdom as we seek to serve people, as we seek to become all things to all people? God, and would you give us opportunities to preach your gospel to our neighbors, Lord, and our friends and our families? Lord, and would you lastly bring life change in this city? Lord, would we be a church that is about loving people in the city of Philadelphia? Lord, and in this year, in 2023, would you bring people to yourself through this church? 
God, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for tonight. In the name that we pray, amen.